Hello and what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things sports in Salford. Join the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport and Salford and beyond? Hi, Rob. Yeah, certainly am. We've had another action-packed week, haven't we? We always say that, don't we? But it has been this weekend, hasn't it? We've... Uh... The return of the Premier League and the Football League and the, the Super League as well. It's uh, it's hotting up, isn't it, now, the action? So I think we'll just about cram it in, won't we, in this hour that we've got? Yeah, lots to go at. We're going to start with the Rugby League, Paul and Salford Devils. They were in action on Saturday night. The race for the playoffs was on defeat against Hawkinson Rovers, 12-0. Talk us through it. Yeah, um, it was a, a tremendous atmosphere, Rob. I don't think I've seen an atmosphere like that. I mean, I've been to all the home away games this season and that's probably the loudest I've, I've seen. I mean, the Catalan Dragons away game was a great atmosphere and the, and the French supporters made a real partisan one. But the Hulkinson Rovers supporters, it was an absolute cauldron um, on the night, wasn't it? It was a terrific atmosphere, terrific noise and a great anticipation for this game. And I thought Salford made a really good start. Hulkinson looked really jittery early doors, looked quite a nervous team. And they bombed a real good chance going forward, overplayed it. But then after that, for the first 20 minutes, I think Salford had three or four at least three or four repeat sets on the line where they forced dropouts, but just couldn't score. Just could not score. And I think you've got to hand a lot of credit to Hulkins Rovers' defence. They were very well organised. They were dogged. I think they really dug in and, and, and that crowd that they had behind them really lifted them and, uh, and gave them a, a leg up in that game. Salford couldn't score and then eventually they got a breakaway try. It was a sucker punch try, really. So over at all the pressure, guy broke away 6-0 at half-time. And the, the, the second half, again... Salford didn't seem to be in it as much in the second half. Hulk had a bit more possession and we never really looked like scoring. You know, we had a, a, an opportunity towards the end of the first half where um, Oliver Patterson was brought back for a forward pass. I've not seen it back on the replay. One or two people told me it was a line ball. But if that had been scored, we could have been right back in the game there. But they got a penalty goal, wisely extended the lead to 8-0 and then and f- finished us off with a, a fantastic try down their left edge. A wonderful tip-on pass from Sean Kenny Dowell. And, uh, and it was uh, Ryan Hall who scored to win the game 12-0. So, yeah, poor on attack, but... You know, it was a it was a good game to watch. It was an exciting game, and um, you know, playoff intensity really. But a lot of mistakes, a lot of unforced errors in the game from from both teams. Yeah, obviously, Paul Rowler would have been disappointed not to get into the uh, you know back to win, you know winning ways after after last week's win uh, against Warrington. But playoff football is what Saturday's game was is you know it was it was intense like you say, and unfortunately, so for just like you say in that first half they had pressure they had territory just not able to get over that line. No, they, they didn't, and I know we'll probably say that they still low on numbers, they low on forwards, and we know that's um, a massive factor and has been this season. You know, if they had sort of two or three more forwards, more middles in there, we we probably would have a lot stronger because we we have struggled and you know. I don't think that was a major factor in the first half because we had no problem making yards down the field. We were in the, we was camped on the OKR line and for one reason or another, we just couldn't find that try. Um, a lot of the time, our attack was, I'm not saying blunt, but it was just a bit disorganised. The passes were going astray and people weren't reading the situations and, and nothing was going right. But I think you've got to credit OKR's defence for that. They, they defended manfully and, and desperately and, and kept us out. And it was, it was an intense game. And it does seem strange at the moment. And I was thinking about this. We have got a really light squad. There's no doubt about that. We've got forwards missing. But we do seem to have three, at least three forwards I can name who never get a look in. We've got Adam Sidlow, Andrew Dixon and, and James Greenwood 
who are middles playing the middle, and they never get picked. And I, I looked at the bench last night, and it was it was quite light really on Saturday night. The, the bench we had Amir Burr and Chris Atkin on there, two two hookers really, and it just seemed like we needed a bit more more beef on there. But uh, but no credit, Ulkar. I, I thought they defended really well, and, and they thoroughly deserved to win the game. Yeah, I suppose that's been Salford's problem, and it you know this season, you know depth of squad, not having people to come in to replace injured or suspended players. And I suppose Paul Rowley will be discussing with Paul King in the off-season about bringing more bodies in because that's where it's gone wrong. Paul Rowley's actual team, when on the field, has produced results. But like you say, rugby league, the game it is, injuries occur and lack of bodies really hurts all for the season. Yeah, it has. But I just think it's strange the three players I mentioned there, Dixon, Sidlow and Greenwood, they're ready-made forwards and he almost seems like Paul doesn't trust them. And, mm. and yet he, he signed two of them and, and they've hardly played all season. I mean, Andrew Dixon, I think he's played once against Wakefield. So you've got players there. So does he not think they're good enough? I'm not too sure. So it'll be interesting to see whether these guys are there next season, whether they'll get replaced. Because you do need to use your squad, don't you, and utilise it because... You know, players do get burnt out, and I mean, we're we're missing Alex Gerrard. I think he's a massive miss for us, and I don't know how he's going to go on. He, his knees seem to be to be shot. Shane Wright's a massive miss as well. Uh, we've lost Tyler Dupree, who's left the club, so it, it, it's been difficult, hasn't it? Losing three massive forwards. You know, you you go forward there, so um, other players have had to, to to come up to the fore, and I think Ben Helliwell has been one of them. He's not the biggest, but I think he's been tremendous. You know it, it, what he's done for the season, the minutes he's played. Sam Stone's come to the fore as well and played really well. King Runiyawa as on, on on Saturday night, he's he just seems to be a bit clumsy to me sometimes. He's he's done a few daft things over the last few weeks. He got himself simbin in that game. That didn't help us either. So. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't Salford's night really. Nothing seemed to come off for us and made a few breaks, but we didn't really have a lot of clear cut chances that I can I can think of really. Only one or two. Yeah. Um I spoke to Paul Rowley, Sam Stone and Ryan Bradley after the game is what they had to say. Defeat today, talk us through it. Um yeah. Um just I know you missed it, but I'd sort of I'll go again. Um yeah, we didn't execute in attack, mate, uh, as much as we could. Um, we we, we uh, got that slightly wrong, just on had a few opportunities we could have nailed. Uh, thought defensively we were very good for most parts, a couple of slip-ups there, uh, one right at the death. But for the most of the game, it was two teams going hard at it, to be fair. Um, credit to both sides. Um, and I, I couldn't be proud of the effort of the boys. Uh, there's some things and what the effort is, one of them, commitment to each other. Um, and to the club was was second to none so uh, that's a good basis for any team um, so yeah, yeah they're, they're the things that you, you can't really teach so we, we've got a good group of lads that confirmed what I already knew uh, but you know we've got to go again next week There's, you know we're, we're still in it and, uh, and we've just got to prepare to go again really thanks for talking to us so I'm joined by Ryan Browler defeat tonight against a tough Hawkinson Rovers team yeah um yeah, just probably our execution let us down a little bit. I think um, it's hard. It's hard because the effort's clearly there. Um, I just think we're we're one of the dumbest teams in the league at the moment, which is um, heartbreaking. Because I've, I've been in teams where you don't put the effort in, and um, they're 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 bad team to be involved in. So it's certainly not that. Um, just our our I don't know. I'm gonna I won't say like clinical, but it's not even that. It's it's the 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 bad unforced errors what. We're letting ourselves down with them and penalties. So just a, 
at the moment really poor discipline wise with the ball which is hurting us yeah obviously I was disappointed tonight but we've still got uh, Castellan next week still in the mix for the six but it's going to be a tall order yeah well, we need our old mate what order a favour don't we so um, yeah I, I, regardless of the playoffs I just think we just need to be better um, we can talk about the six all we want but I just think as a, it's hard because as a, as a fan I've, I've, I've watched us get battered every week so it's nice to be competing every every year now um, but I, I really want to win a trophy so um, tonight's like tonight hurt obviously yeah, but it's a lack of learning opportunity in it obviously we come to places like Hulkerston Rovers in the big games didn't get the result tonight but you're going to look back at the game and think well we, what we learn and we move forward yeah I, I feel like we've had a, a lot of lessons in the year though mate what, what, what we're clearly not learning from um, and that's in the big games keeping hold of the ball I don't, I, I, I don't want to can't dress it up I, I, I'd love to be talking tactical with you but just, we just need to keep all the ball and um, in big games like that you're scoring the last 10 minutes not the first so you just need to start taking energy off energy off teams and, and ultimately we're, we're not doing that uh, for long periods of time never mind tonight unlucky and I'll see you soon so I'm joined by Sam Stone defeat tonight how'd you feel? obviously disappointing mate but dust ourselves off and we got another chance you know if uh, results go away next week just one more job against Caroline. It's a real, obviously, tough contest. First half, flowing rugby. Second half, got a bit niggly, uh, but unfortunately not able to, to find our way over the line. Yeah, I think we, uh, you know, we put some pressure on them at the start of the game and got some uh, repeat sets, but then let them let them off the hook straight away. So we needed to be a bit more uh, clinical with our attack and that first little section and put some points on the board, I think. Catalan next week, we're still in the mix, uh, but it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, yeah, going to be tough, but, you know, the... Yeah, the fate's in our hands now so let's uh, dust ourselves off and get ready for next week and you know it's still a chance brilliant thanks for talking to us and unlucky tonight so Paul all disappointed in, in the result Paul Rowley you know praised his players uh, for, for the efforts they put in I suppose he, he's going to do that in this situation but Ryan Browley not particularly um, happy about the team's performance and sort of the mental state when in tough, comp- comp- tough games I think Ryan Bradley deserves a lot of credit because I thought he was probably one of our best players and I think he's been one of our best players this season. He's very consistent, puts his body on the line week in, week out. I'm not saying other players don't, but he sort of did that interview with you. It was a cracking interview as well. And, and he was very, very honest. And I think, you, you know, you like to hear that from players. And I've heard a few supporters say over the last few weeks, particularly after the whole KR game, we've only got a small squad, we don't spend any money. But on the other side of the coin... We had some very, very experienced players out on Saturday night. We had the, the, the reigning Man of Steel playing for us in Brodie Croft. So mm. we've not got a team full of 18-year-old kids who are wet behind the ears. We've got a decent side. You know, Callum Watkins is, is one thing. He's played internationals. Mark Sneed, Tim Lafay, Joe Burgess, Ryan Briley, Ken Seo. They're seasoned uh, pros, aren't they? So um, you know, Callum Watkins has, has been there and done it. So Oliver Partington at Wigan. So you know, you can't keep going to that well saying that we, we're We've not got this 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 money. We know that. We know we've got a massive squad. I thought we had enough on the out there to 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 do better than what we did. Really, I thought it was disappointing. But uh, I didn't think it was a lack of effort. I thought the players gave everything, but they just come up short. Yeah, obviously playoffs uh, are slim. The chances of getting there. Paul, they've got to play Catalan Dragons on Friday uh, and hope uh, Huddersfield beat Warrington. Um, thoughts there. Well, I think you've just got to control what you can control. Control the controllables, as they say. And mm. You can't really worry about Warrington or Huddersfield. You've just got to go out and do your job. And, and that job is going to be a real task in itself. You look at Catalan's Dragons, they're, they're gunning for top spot, aren't they? 
They're desperate to finish top of the Super League. You've got three teams at the top, Wigan, Saints and Catalan, all on the same points. Um, and, and they'll be looking to get that win to, to finish top. So they're not going to take it easy on you. And look at the way they've battered Leeds at the weekend. 61-0, I think it was. So they're coming off the back of that. It is difficult to play at that intensity two weeks running. We know that. But uh, but that's going to be a difficult enough. And I think if we can beat Catalans, that would be an achievement in itself. And then, obviously, we you'll go on your old transistor radio and have a listen to see what's going on at Warrington, don't you? But I think as a player, you've just got to get your job done and then, then worry about that afterwards. I mean, if we were to miss out, you know, I don't think it's a massive issue. I think they, they've done well. This, to finish seventh would be a decent season. You know, you finished a good, above some good sides. Everybody wants to finish in the playoffs, so I get that. Um, the only thing is, if we do finish in the playoffs, we're going to have to go to Catalan Dragons in the playoffs then to, to, uh, to progress. But... Nobody gets in. If you want to win the Super League and you want to win a trophy, nobody gives it you for free. You've got to go and, and win against the best, haven't you? So, to me, if you want to compete in the playoffs, your target should be to go and win the grand final. Otherwise, there's no point in playing in the playoffs. So, we've just got to take Friday on merit and do what we can and, and let's just hope we can get in the playoffs. Yeah, obviously, with everything going on, the club really needs a playoffs. But I've always said that mm. to be considered a, a top playoff side you need to be consistently in the playoffs last season got to the semi-final beating Nara uh, by set Ellen's dropping out this this season you know the the view from outside the Sulphur Devils bubble the potential fans looking in will see that Paul and, and think oh another season of, of disappointment they've just dropped, fell short I mean is it that big of a game on Saturday that Salford need to win to send that message do you know what? I've always thought in the time I've watched Salford that it's very, very important to win your last game of the season, when, especially when you're at home. Because whether they're finishing the playoffs or not, if you go and beat Catalan in front of your home supporters on Friday night, you've got a long off-season then. And people remember that. They'll remember that for, for the over the winter. You know, what a great win that was over Catalans. And it just sends you home with a smile on your face and finishes the season well. So you don't want to finish the season. I mean, remember the Catalans game in 2011, the last game at the Willows, all the fanfare with all that. And we got absolutely smashed about nearly 50 points, wasn't it? And, you know, you sort of remember that. It was a great sort of carnival day. And then you get absolutely leathered. So you just want to make sure you go out and, and get a result. It'd be great to finish in the playoffs. It really would to, to finish in that top six. And, you know, whether you, you, you progress to the grand final or not, you, you've done well to even finish there, particularly after the season we've had with a, with a, with a squad. We've had a lot more injuries and, and mishaps and suspensions and what have you this season than what we had last season. If you look at Lee this season, their season sort of mirror, apart from the Challenge Cup, their league season mirrors with the season we had last year, really, mm. where we had a settled team week in, week out. We, we got on a really good run and, and, and we were tough to beat, weren't we? And that's how they've gone this season. So, you know, if we can do that next year, probably keep the spine fit, add, add a few players in, we, we could be, be challenging again next year. But I get what you're saying. I'd love us to finish in that playoffs just to say we finished in the top six. I, I really would because that would be an achievement in itself. Yeah, well, before you said control the controllables, but you can't control when no, players can't. are injured or not. It's a it, rugby is a brutal sport. Players get injured all the time. It's really it's down to luck if your players aren't injured. And Paul Rowley, uh, Paul King, Ian Blees, they have a, a budget to work in, don't they? And is this kind of structure and is the budget reliant on Salford having a great season and not having any injuries? Because obviously they're just crossing the fingers really that they get the amount of players in and they stay fit and they don't really have a, a sort of a backup plan for it if players get injured. 
I suppose it's a vicious circle, really, Rob, because when you mm. think about it, you've got your top sides like the Catalan, St. Helens and, and Wigan, who've been very consistent over the last decade or so. They never seem to be hampered by loads and loads of injuries. And that's probably because when they do get one or two injuries, they've got people in the squad who can fill the gap. Mm. So they don't feel it as much. When you're a team like Salford and, you, and your squad's fairly thin and you've got nobody to bring in, you're therefore shuffling players round. If you look on Saturday night with Brad Singleton suspended, who's been fantastic for us so far, then you have to swap things around and play Ben Elliwell at prop, where he's not really a prop, he's more of a back rower, isn't he? So you, you're moving players out of position then, and, and whereas they've probably got somebody who can come in and do that specialist position, we're not in that luxury where we've got at least two or three players that can play each position, we've not got that, so, so you do feel it a lot more, and I think every team gets injuries, but if you've got the stronger squad, the the academy and the, the reserves and the backup, you sort of cope with it a lot more, don't you? Cope with those bumps in the road. Yeah, it's disappointing. Like I say, as a fan, you you know you you dream, don't you, of that playoff? And we started really well, you know, in, in the season, and we had that run just after we got beat in the Challenge Cup, where we lost sort of six on on the spin, and that was the that was the moment I think in the season that it just slipped away. Yeah, we found a bit of form towards the back end, but injuries and and lack of form in that period that's the the moment for me. Yeah, well, like, there was two for me. That St. Helens away game when Shane Wright got injured, we was going great guns until that game. And that game took a lot out. If you remember rightly, we were winning 12 nil at half-time. Mm. And that second half seemed to take the sting out of the players. And perhaps they lost a bit of belief that day as well. You know, that defeat really hurt them. But another one, as you say there, was the was the, the Challenge Cup game against Hawkinson Rovers. Because if you look back to the results, we was absolutely flying going into that game. We'd, uh, we'd battered Castleford away 42-10. We'd won away at, um, I think we beat Leeds away, Catalans at home. We, we won against um, Lee as well. We had a good result, didn't we, away from home. And uh, we won in the Magic weekend as well. And then we went we went to that game on the back of a, I think we'd won, we'd lost one in nine, I think, going mm. to, to Hull KR in that, that cup game. And we didn't turn up that day in the cup, did we? We were well beaten, I think 28-10, was it? Mm. Um, we was, yeah, we was really disappointing that day and, I think that the players really believe that we could have got to Wembley. You know, we had a great win against Huddersfield. All right, it was 42-4. It wasn't that cup game, but it was a great win against a, you know, a, a side with um, you know some good players in it. Then entertaining game, and and then you get beat in that one. So that probably did knock the, the wind out of them really. And we had the Tyler Dupree situation that I think affected the club a little bit, didn't it? You know, it affected the the mood of the side, and you know he moved on and left a gap in the team. Don't forget at the start of the season, well, you had Dan Sargison as well, who, who who we lost and who who left the sport. So that was another player that was leaving the side as well. So all these things don't help when you've only got 25, 26 players. Yeah, and obviously the Red Rise Together scheme, the share scheme, and it's just like I say. A lot of disruption through the season, but Paul Rowley's managed to keep the the boat sailing, and that's a that's a good thing for him as a head coach, obviously, because other ho- other head coaches may have failed, and and the season would have come off the rails at that point. Yeah, of course. I mean, look at Leeds for an example. They've got you know an embarrassment of riches at Headingley. There, they've got a really you know big squad, spent a lot of money. Um, you know, got international players in there, got a massive academy reserve team. They lost 51-0 last week at home to, to Wigan and then they've lost 61-0 um, away at Catalans. You know, all those points conceded in two weeks and and, the, and their coach must be under tons of pressure because they're four points behind Salford so they're not going to finish above us. Mm. So they've had a really disappointing season. So's Huddersfield. You know, what they've done, the players they've brought in. Hull FC, 
you know, the players they signed for the, the, the start of the season, they've um, spent loads of money and they're going to finish behind Salford. So, Paul Rowley's done really well. You know, he, him and he's the same as when Ian Watson was at Salford. They, they seem to get the best out of what they've got. And, yeah, he's. I think what's happened at Salford as well this season, Rob, is the expectation level got raised, didn't it? You know, last season we, we got to within a game of a grand final and we weren't that far off against St. Helens in that semi-final last year. It was so, so close. And then people expect you to, to repeat that this season, don't they? And it's difficult when, like I said, when you've only got that small squad. Mm. Obviously, like I say, we'll look forward to the Catalan game. Hopefully we get the win there, uh, the results go our way and then we can push on for the playoffs. Because when you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, you do say if we, you know, we might be on a trip to, to Catalan away from one, which is going to be tough being playing Catalan twice in two weeks with such a big forward pack. Yeah, but, you know, you get in there and you go over to Catalans and you don't know what happens. You know, you might get a dicky decision. You know, if you try, one of their players gets sent off, somebody gets injured in the week. You don't know what, you know, a match is a match, it's 80 minutes. And if you were to win that, you're only 80 minutes from a grand final and you're in the semi-finals again, aren't you? So you've only got to win two playoff games to get to the grand final the way it's structured now. So... Yeah, anything can happen. I think if you get in that top six, look at Ulkington Rovers. I mean, I just mentioned about their their crowd on uh, on Saturday night and the the sort of uh, momentum they've got behind them at the moment. I mean, they can still finish above Lee. I think you know if points difference goes, obviously they've got to beat Wigan, which is going to be a massive game. Uh, sorry, they've got to beat Wakefield and Lee play Wigan. So there's there's an opportunity there for Ulkington Rovers to to finish above Lee, and then they play Lee at home then in the playoffs. So you won't fancy going there. And um, I, I won't fancy playing them because they're a really enthusiastic team. So that 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 top six is going to be really really exciting. You know when it does start, it's going to be thrilling. Yeah, talking about Lee, uh, they played Wakefield uh, last week and won twenty points to nineteen, uh, relegated uh, Wakefield from the Super League. Obviously, twenty five years I think Wakefield have been in the Super League, uh, mm-hmm. and the journey ends this week. Yeah, I remember them getting promoted in 1998. They beat Featherstone 24-22, I think. At the, it was McAlpine Stadium, it was called in Huddersfield. I remember watching that game. And um, they had um, a certain uh, Garen Casey played in that game. Mm. And we ended up signing him at Salford. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, they, they've done tremendously well to stay, to stay in because they're a similar club to us, aren't they? They've not awash with money. They don't get massive crowds. They've not got a big financial backer behind them. And uh, they've, they've punched above the weight, haven't they? They've made the playoffs a, a few times, so... I think they've struggled a few times, haven't they? And, and, and had the end of day, end day, day sort of survivals, haven't they? Where they've stayed up on the last game and things like that. But yeah, sorry to see them go. Really, they, they, they've been the worst team though, Rob. This season they've only won four matches, but the games they've won, if you look at them, they've won emphatically. They absolutely tanked Warrington. They beat us really easily. They beat Wigan in, in Golden Point. I think they beat Leeds as well. So they've they've had four decent wins, but they've been nilled a lot of times as well. But felt a bit sorry for them Friday night because. Um, if they'd have beat Lee in that game, Casford got thumped off Wigan. It would have gone down to the last game and, and the points difference is fairly close. So, you know, they could have stayed up, but um, no, they were a bit unlucky to lose at Lee. Yeah. Warrington were at home to Settlers and went down to defeat. Uh, six points to 18. Obviously, Warrington in transition. Sam Burgess coming next season. Um, they, like I say, play Huddersfield to try and get in the playoffs for this season. It's going to be tough for them. 
It is because Huddersfield had a good win at Hull, didn't they, on um, mm. on Saturday? So, you know, they'll want to finish with a flourish, Huddersfield, because it's been disappointing for them this season. And, and I know Ian Watson won't want to lose any more um, home games because they've lost a lot of home games, haven't they? So they'll want to finish on a win because he's under pressure. Um, Warrington, I watched their game against St. Helens on Friday night, and I thought they was a bit unlucky, really. They wasn't. I mean, they scored right at the end, St. Helens. It was a very close game. That I think it was twelve six, and you know they, they probably could have uh, scored. There was a few decisions that. So I didn't go against him a few 50-50 calls that could have gone the other way. So it was a bit unlucky to, to lose the game. They've, they're a funny side, though, Warrington, aren't they? They can be absolutely awful or they can they can really dig in and, and give you a game. So um, I wouldn't like to be a betting man and bet on that game against Huddersfield because that one can go either way. Yeah, Wigan uh, beat Cass 48 points to six, obviously. Castleford Tigers talk about stadium need, revamping, finishing second bottom just above uh, Castleford, it's going to be a big off-season for them. It's going to be a massive off-season from Rob. Danny Ward, the new coach, has really got his work cut out there. They've got an ageing team as well. Um, they're losing a lot of players are off contract. And and it does feel like they're going to be the side that struggles next season unless they, they turn something around. They need some man management in there, you know, some togetherness, some players coming in and, you know, try and real build something there. Because if, if they get the hangover of this season goes on into 2024, they could end up being the team that's, that's bottom next. And obviously the rule is going to change relegation, things like that. But if they're struggling with the stadium and they, they're not playing well on the pitch, then... They're going to be they're going to be really struggling. So Danny Ward's a good coach, though. Did a good job at London, so I'm sure he's he'll have you know irons in the fire and players he's looking at for next season. But they've been very very disappointing this season. Them and Wakefield have been by far the, the worst two teams, haven't they? Another disappointing team, Hull FC. They went down to defeat, like you said, against Huddersfield, 52 points to 20. Big side, Hull FC. Big crowd, loads of you know money to to spend on big players, but struggling near the bottom. Yeah, well, if you look at the results as well, they've been lamped a few times at home this season. You know, Salford won there pretty comfortably, didn't we? We battered them there. And, you know, they've had some, some funny defeats this season. You know, they've won some good games, but they've they've let a lot of points in. And I don't know, it seems to be a bit of an attitude thing with them sometimes. They, they signed some big names, don't they? They had Jake Clifford there and, you know, Jake Truman when he got his half-pack partnership going with him. They look good at times this year, but, you know, for one reason or another, I think... If you look at the league table last season, I think they, they finished pretty similar last year. They were ninth or tenth. They didn't make the playoffs last season, or maybe even the season before as well. So they've had a few barren seasons now. And um, you know, Adam Pearson, their owner, I don't know whether he'll change coaches because Tony Smith, you know, he's a good coach. Tony Smith, he knows the game inside out, doesn't he? And um, you would expect him to stay there, but the pressure will be on next season. They, they need to start performing. Yeah, so let's move on to our other local sides, Swinton Lions. They were in action this weekend against Whitehaven at home and won 21 points to 20. Geordie uh, Gibson with two tries and a drop goal uh, to secure the victory for the Lions. Yeah, they had to win. It was a must-win game for Swinton. I think if they'd have lost that game, it would have been curtains and they'd have been relegated. So they had to win it. It was a nail by you know, Whitehaven around them as well. I think Whitehaven's got a similar amount of points to Swinton. So they are battling. Newcastle Thunder have been relegated. I mean, they, they um, had a great win. They beat Barrow on uh, Saturday afternoon, Newcastle, and uh, messed up my accumulator. <laughs> I fully expected Barrow to win that game. So they've um, dragged Barrow into it. You've got Whitehaven are in trouble there. Keith Lee, you've got three... Three or four teams there who, who can be relegated. So the last game of the season next week is going to be a fantastic Sunday. You know, Swinton have got to go to Halifax and they've probably got to get a win really to to, to stay up at Halifax. And 
know, Halifax are, are going quite well now, aren't they? Looking forward to the playoffs and, and that. So um, that's going to be a tough game there for Swinton. But they've given themselves a chance with that result over Whitehaven that they desperately needed. Like you say, they, they travel to uh, Halifax on Sunday, the last game of the season. It's 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 really important, obviously, Swint Lions. You know, one of our one of the I believe great you know big teams, one of the oldest teams, and they had great history. That you know they continue to play at the highest level they can. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't want to go down back down to to, to League One. It's um it's a world of difference between League One and the Championship. It's a big step, and you know you've got teams in that league that probably don't bring the crowds that the championship clubs bring so the finances aren't there so you know after Swinton have been a bit of a yo-yo team of recent so they want to consolidate and stay in there obviously getting a new coach coming in next season as well there's going to be a lot of changes probably the players will move on things like that so um, they'll be desperate but that'll be a really tough game against Halifax because you know they're trying to finish as high as they can to have an assault on the playoffs so next Sunday's going to be massive the, you know the slide rules will be out as well on the league table because I think if you look at the the points difference, um, I'm sure Keithley and Swinton's is, is more or less identical. So it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of nervous people like next week in the, in the championship. Yeah, and obviously Jordy Gibson uh, scored two tries this uh, week. Also, the drop got also won. Man of Steel, Players Player of the Year and Supporters Player of the Year as well. So congratulations to him. Obviously, clean sweep. Yeah, done tremendously well. I don't know a lot about him, to be honest. I've not really followed Swinton as much as probably should have done this season, but, uh, you know, we're following Salford. But sounds like he's had a great season there. And to win those awards, they'll be hoping to tie him down. You know, obviously, they've got the, the coach moving on at the end of the season, Alan Colburn, and you're hoping he's not going to uh, pinch half the team. But that normally tends to happen, doesn't it? You know, players move on with the coach as well. But they'll be hoping they can tie, tie players down and, and keep players there. I know they've had... Um, had um, an email been sent out recently, Swinton, regarding you know rebranding and the future of the club and things like that. So there's a lot of things up in the air at, at, at Swinton at the moment about which way they're going to go. But we just wish them all the best, and I think it'd be great if they could stay up next week. It's a massive game for them. Yeah, so yeah. that's all the rugby league chat, uh, and now we're joined by James Sweetenham. James, welcome to the show. Looking forward to talking all things sport and so for beyond. Yeah, I very much am, Rob. I'm delighted to be back with you and Paul. And first things first, I've got a quick interview. A martial artist called Simeon Powell. He's fighting in the PFL in Paris on September 30th. And this is everything that he had to say. Right, thank you so much for joining me. On September 30th, you have a massive fight. PFL Paris, the French capital, somewhere where so many fighters want to fight. And this must be a massive one checked off the bucket list for you. For sure. like the, I think this is going to be the biggest arena I've fought in so far. Um, it's huge in Paris at the moment. MMA is booming and it's a sold out event. So I'm really excited. It is. I mean, we've got so many British fighters going over there. Chanel's on this bill. She's been out there before. She landed an explosive spinning back elbow. The crowd absolutely loved her. And they've not been used to MMA, obviously, with the sport being illegal out there for mm. so long. So I bet you're excited to get out there and showcase your skills. No, for sure. Um, yeah, I want a bit of, I want a bit of that, that. I want to taste that French energy. Do you know what I mean? I want to experience it. So, yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. And I imagine when you first started training MMA, these international dates, whether it be France or Vegas and beyond, they must have been things you were dreaming of. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Like I'm, I'm living the dream right now. I'm, I'm fighting abroad. I'm experiencing different places, different countries, and it's my full time job. So I'm a happy man. So before starting MMA, can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your favorite memories were? Um, yeah, like I grew up in Northwest London, a uh, place called Harrow. Um, uh, my, my memories, oh, like, I got loads, but I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's like um, just quality time with my family. Like, some of the good family memories I've had. Some we had some good Christmases, and yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that's amazing. I hope you had some good times with your pigs and blankets on Christmas morning. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you obviously started fighting, and that became a pivotal point in your life. What led you to the gym, and what made you want to take it that step further? Um, I was, uh, like, like, I got to the age of 16 and, uh, I stopped playing football and yeah, I think friends were just, every, people were going left, people were going right, everyone was doing different things and I just needed to, well, I thought I needed to find my place in this world almost and I don't know, always combat, combat sports has always been like, it appealed to me so I just joined the gym and the rest was history, man. Like, I got good quickly and I fell in love with it. That's fantastic. And for you, it must have been an interesting balancing act because you've got this chilled out personality, nice, charismatic guy, but then you get in the cage and you're icing people like Clinton Williams. So how did you go <laughs> from being a cool guy to a bit of a savage in there? I think it's um, it's just come, I don't know, man. It just comes, it's like my, it's just who I am, man. You know what I mean? I'm just a a calm, happy guy that's like nice to be around, I guess. But like when it's in that cage, I know what time it is. It's um Spans trying to literally trying to take food off my plate. He's yeah, like I don't pay the bills as well as I do if I lose to this man, so I've gotta beat his ass, do you know what I mean? So yeah, it changes, mentality changes. Absolutely. And your opponent coming up, can you tell me a little bit about him and how you're expecting this fight to go? Um uh, he's seven and one, I think. Uh, he's a well, I guess he's a he's a decent striker, but for like I, he doesn't have he doesn't have the layers to the game like I do. I feel like I feel like I have so many more layers, I have so many more weapons, I'm dangerous in so many different ways. Um I think his his only bet is closing the distance and trying to knock me out. But everyone's tried so far, and no one's no one's actually done it. So, and I don't see anything that makes him the special one. So, in my opinion, I smoke this guy. Yeah, you're right. Eight people have tried. Eight people have failed. And probably part of that is due to some of the training you've done at GB Top Team. There's some great athletes there. We've got Brad Pickett. A trainer, Chanel Dye is there, Alex Lahore is there, Walter Gahaz is there. Some great names. What's it like to train with all these guys? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great environment to be in because you've got, like, loads of guys from different eras of the game, like, all, like, vast eras of the game. So you got um, even Ash Grimshaw, who's been fighting since 2003, and he's, like, you know what I mean? That's, that was as early as it gets, really, for UK MMA. Um, so like it's it's just amazing having all the all types of experience around me. 
And at PFL, Dan Hardy is so pivotal with how this is going in Europe. Have you spent much time around him? And has he given you any advice? Um, no, like, Dan's a real cool guy. Like, he, yeah, he's a real cool guy. We speak a lot um, when, when we're at event, certain events and stuff like that. But, yeah, no, it's just always been, like, business and talking about fights and yeah and like he ain't giving me much advice but i've taken stuff away from him and like his like his passion for the sport is second to none so yeah i do admire that about him and in pfl so many great fighters a really interesting concept that they have what does the future hold in store for you what do you make of the rest of these fighters that are in your division um on a whole or in europe in Europe specifically, but then obviously beyond, because I know that you're intending and going further. Yeah, so um, in Europe, I feel like it's it's it's, it's great. Like level, we all got like similar records ish, like similar amount of fights. Who's left? But I feel like the the other fight in the in the, the other semi final fight is uh, interesting because I think both guys are. They're really, I, I like them. I think their style's good, but no one's great. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> out of the bunch, you know what I mean? But, uh, well, yeah, I'd say the, the, I think I see Jacob, I think Jacob Nido, I see him going through possibly, but that French boy, he's in his own town and he's, he's, he's powerful. So I don't know. It's interesting, but all I know is that I, I beat all of them. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you do that as this uh, tournament progresses. But when you're not in the cage, when you're doing your own thing, how do you relax? What do you do to entertain yourself? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? I think I, I live in the gym, bro, so it's hard. <laughs> like, it's hard. Um, yeah, I just chill, spend, spend time with my girlfriend, my, my family. Um, yeah, man, I'm pretty boring, man. I got like I'm not gonna lie. I go out like after the fight. I do have a bit of fun. If you know, you know that like the Simeon Powell after party is it's always a lit one. But yeah, apart from that, yeah, man, I'm just a chill guy. Just keep myself to myself. So I assume after you get the victory in Paris, there's gonna be a pretty big Simeon Powell after party filled with croissants and frogs and baguettes and everything you can get your hands on in France. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, well, it's in the works, it's in the works. We'll see, we'll see what we can do, but yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to me. It's deeply appreciated. I can't wait to watch your fight. I'm really looking forward to it. But before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to tell me about or anybody you'd like to shout out? Um, nah, man, just like like all the fans, all the, or everyone supporting, everyone that don't know who I am, like, just tune in and you'll see why the hype is there. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, see it. Tune in to The Zone September 30th. And, yeah, witness greatness in the making. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, so some great stuff there from Simeon. But now we're going to talk boxing. And this weekend, there is a massive rematch in the heavyweight division. Joe Joyce taking on Zilly Zhang, Big Bang. A cracking encounter, first time round. The Chinese man upsetting the apple cart, beating Joe Joyce in quite a clinical performance. Going into this one, the juggernaut had been unstoppable. His chin had been granite, but Zhang outboxed him. 
wobbled him, eventually stopped him after an eye injury caused the referee to jump in. Paul, going into this one, first and foremost, how did you evaluate that first fight? And what's it going to be like for Joe who's gone into this one now that this invincible quality that he had is gone? Well, like you say, I think going into the first fight, he had that. You know, there was a lot of talk about him having a granite chin. And, you know, when a boxer has that sort of hype, you you tend to start believing it, don't you? And believing you're you're unbeatable. And his opponent, Zhang, wasn't probably one of the most feared fighters in boxing, wasn't he? He wasn't like a Tyson Fury or a Joshua or a Deontay Wilder. So he perhaps thought that, you know, he'd win that comfortably. And then when it came to the fight night, he got dragged into to a real tough real tough fight and a real tough man in front of him who, you know, for such a big man can can box as well, you know, can box and move and, and you know, put you under all sorts of pressure and that's what he did and, and um, you know, it was an incredible shot and incredible damage that he did to his eye, you know, to finish him off and, and, and he needs to be careful again this time because Zan can, can definitely, he can bang, can't he, for want of a better word, he can, he's a powerful man and you know, we know he's got a good chin, but you can't set that much punishment around your eyes and things like that because, you know, your body can only take so much. So he's got to go about it differently this time. I, I think he's got to uh, approach it differently. And, you know, if you do the same thing again, you'll get the same result. But one thing I will say is that a lot of the time in these rematches, we don't see the same thing. You know, we don't normally see repeat, do we really? It's normally something different happens. So, so no, I think it, I think it was slightly different this time. I think he'll have a different game plan for, like, for, for Zhang, sorry. Yeah, and in the first encounter, Joyce weighed in uh, a creolitis, which shocked a lot of people, and it allowed Zhang to get the better of it. I mean, Joyce is usually somebody who's renowned for being the stronger man. On this occasion, he wasn't. Does he need to power the weight back on to be able to cope with the strength that Zhang has? Well, I think so. sometimes, in a, definitely in heavyweight boxing, if you've got a fighter that's you know that much heavier than his opponent, it can weigh you down when you've got someone that much bigger than you leaning on you and, and you know putting all his weight on you, zapping your energy as well, isn't it? So, and you need to feel strong at the weight. You need to be strong. You need to have your power there as well. So, I I think so. I, I'd be be getting himself in shape to to go you know a long distance with him. You know, this this fight could go a long way. So. You've got to be prepared to, to do the rounds, haven't you, and go the full 12 rounds. So, yeah, I think so. Heavyweight boxing is all about size now, isn't it? If you look at the size of some of them, like Fury was just mentioning, these are huge men. They're not sort of the 15 stone, 13 stone, 14 stone Muhammad Ali's anymore, are you talking guys like 18, 19, 20 stone? So, so yeah, I think so. I think definitely. And that's when he's at his strongest, you know. Um, that's when he can really bang. He's got wonderful power as well. So, if I was his team, I'd be, be getting that extra bit of weight on him just to uh, to give him a bit more of an opportunity. And if you silly Zhang, everything went according to plan the first time round. Does he need to change anything going into this one? No, I don't think so. I thought he boxed really well the first time around, and he, you know his game plan will be the same again. I would have thought, you know, get on that jab and, and do as much damage as you can. You know, when um, you know if the, the shot comes and the opportunity comes with a big right hand, you take it, don't you? So that'll be his opportunity. There's not a lot you can change, really, is there in boxing, especially heavyweight boxing. You know, it's about who lands first, isn't it? Really, a lot of the time, you know, not that I'm sort of degrading it, but it, but it is. You know, um, you know, you're not going to get people in heavyweight boxing, you know, boxing on the inside and and things like that. It's not. It's two blokes who are going to go toe-to-toe. There's no hiding places there in heavyweight boxing. So, if I was Zang, I'd be going the same way about it. But, you know, it, I'm not so sure this one will have the same result. I think it's going to be a different this time and uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But I, I, I can't see it being the same result. 
So if you were to make a pick right now, Paul, and a bit of a breakdown, what would you go with? Uh, tough one. You always put me in a tough position, don't you? <laughs> it's what we do on the sports zone. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it'll be different this time. I think you get a different result this time. I think Zan can be beaten. I think he can be knocked out as well. Um, and that's what I'm going for. I'm going for a, for a knockout the other way. And um, Zang's been beaten by a big, uh, by a big stoppage. Well, we're all looking forward to it. And I can't wait to break it down with you this time next week. Looking at that undercard, a couple of returning fighters. We've got Zach Parker coming off that devastating loss to John Ryder, where he pulled out with the hand injury. And Anthony Yard off the back of an incredible effort against Artur Baserbiev, where he nearly defeated the pound-for-pound Russian. He's going to be back in action as well. Yeah, good to see two good fighters. Yeah, Parker's a good one. I like to see him. You know, I thought we disappointed against John Ryder, and you know, we, he's he's got you know he's definitely got something, and we want to see him back 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 to winning ways. Anthony Yard again, like you said, it was a tremendous effort in his last fight. We know what he's all about. He comes to fight, and uh, you know, he's a very very entertaining fighter, and, and people want to see that. And uh, you know, he, he's at a good level. He's at a good level now. He proved that in his last fight. You know, it's always you know, when you lose a fight like when you put so much into it, it's difficult to take. But he proved he belonged at that level. So I think he'll he'll be out to impress again and get back to winning ways too. And now looking at the British scene with. Wardley and Adelaide, a fight that we've all wanted to see for a while. That is going to take place on the Fury in Garnu undercard in Saudi Arabia. They caused a big stir at the press conference, getting into a physical fight, and ultimately Wardley ended up hitting the floor during that with a cut down his cheek. Surely that's going to give him added motivation to do a job on Adelaide now. Yeah, well, it usually does, doesn't it? Um, when something like that happens at the weigh-in or, or the, or the, um, the face-offs and things like that, we normally see quite a bit of that these days, don't we? And it, do, it really does hype the fight. So, not into that myself. You know, I think you should be respectful and respect your opponent. But, no, it, it does sell the fights. And that's going to be a good one. You know, the, there's two blokes here who are going to go for each other. And, you know, I'm not so sure about the main event, you know, the, the Tyson Fury event. That could go two ways, doesn't it? But I think, you know, with Wardley, I think you're going to see a, a really, really good blockbusting fight there. And, um, yeah, if anything, if the, the press conferences and, and standoffs and stare-offs and whatever, anything to go by, there could be fireworks. And interestingly enough, due to the fact that the fight is taking place in Saudi Arabia, the British title will not be on the line that Wardley currently holds. What do you make of that decision? Is it the right one? Yeah, that's a bit of a political one, isn't there? I don't understand that at all. I mean, just because it's not in the UK, I mean, I'm pretty sure people have fought for, well, mind you, they might not have done most of the British title fights are in Britain, aren't they? so it could be a bit of a, of a new one that for us, but I don't see why not. You know, I'm pretty sure they'd like to, you know, Ward, they'd like to defend it and, and his opponent wants to go and win it, doesn't he? So I'm not so sure why that is. It's probably some sort of thing in the contract or something. But, you know, it's an unusual place to, to have the fight in, in Saudi Arabia in the first place, isn't it? But uh, but that's another story. And another interesting development coming out of the Philippines, Manny Pacquiao, one of the greatest fighters of all time. He wants to roll back the years. He's intending on entering the Olympics in 2024 in Paris with his ultimate aim to win a gold medal. What do you make of somebody of Manny Pacquiao's calibre competing in the Olympic Games? Is it a case of, wow, this is great, he's going to bring some mainstream eyes to the sport and he's really going to get people going, it'll be a fantastic achievement if he does pull this off? Or is it a place for the amateurs to prove their worth? Well, yeah, it's, it's a funny one. It's a bit like... Um... 
Manchester United sort of saying, right, we'll go and play in the um, that that football league trophy, you know, the ones that the lower league teams play in. And it's like, well, yeah, it's not really for you because you're too good for that. You're at a higher level. I mean, Manny Pacquiao's coming down there to, no disrespect to people in the Olympics, but they're not fully fully professional yet. They're going to have nowhere near as much experience as someone like Manny Pacquiao got. So I, I get where he's coming from. He wants to, to win a medal, but, you know, I, you know, going down to that level, is it is it the right thing to do? Should bring you know real excitement and um, and coverage to it, but I'm not sure whether it, it should be allowed. Really, I think once you've you've been at the elite level and, and been professional, you shouldn't be allowed to go back down to that level. Really, it just seems a bit unfair. And last one for you this week, Paul Anthony Joshua Deontay Wilder. We're talking about it seemingly every show at the moment with the rumor mill stirring up more and more about where this fight may take place. And we all assumed it would go down in Saudi Arabia. Supposedly, they're struggling to get the funding there. And there's a slim chance that it could be heading to Wembley Stadium. What are the odds that we actually get this fight in England? I think you've more chance of me fighting um, Deontay Wilder than you fighting him at the moment. I, I don't know. it. I'm not so sure. I mean, it, it, we all want to see these fights. We've got that sort of trio and quartet of fighters if you like that are, you know Joshua's one Wilder's one Fury's one uh, there's one or two others as well isn't there are up there but they're the three that tend to get mentioned you know you've got Andy Ruiz as well these are real sort of household names over the last couple of years now aren't they but how many fights have they had between each other not many really I mean you had Fury and, and Wilder you know their fights but we, we want to see these elite fighters together don't we these these big names, and I don't know, there always seems to be something in the way, I mean, how many times Tyson Fury said he's going to do this, he's going to do that, and, you know, somebody else won't won't talk, and you know, does does he want the fight, does he want the fight, so I, I don't know, I'd love to see Wilder and Joshua, I think their styles are really match as well, but at the moment, it's, it's one of those I can't see happening this year. And now moving on to the world of football, and Rob, Manchester United taking a 3-1 hiding by Brighton, interestingly enough, they they were the last team to beat Manchester United in the Premier League at Old Trafford. So things have gone a bit full circle there, but a pitiful performance from United. Yeah, poor performance, James. Obviously, defeat at home. First defeat, like you said, in 13 months. But there's bad signs, isn't there? Conceded 10 goals in the last four games. Um, and the team isn't quite gelling. It's not quite clicking. I know where Ramos Hoyland started up front, had a goal disallowed. Um, but after the first 20 minutes, Brighton kind of realised what the plan was with him in Ratchford and, and sort of nullified the threat. Um, him going off, crowd weren't quite happy, even though he's not really played a game yet for Manchester United. Played in a substitute, but his first start against uh, Brighton weren't too pleased about him leaving the pitch, James. Uh, but extra pressure on Ten Hag with everything going on uh, in the background. Um, it's uh, going to be interesting to see what happens. It certainly will be, Rob. And perhaps as devastating as it is to lose 3-1, it's never nice to concede a goal from a man who used to play for you. What do you make of Welbeck hitting the first one for Brighton? Yeah, it's, it's you know, he's, he is, a, you know, a ta- he was a talented youth when he came through at United. Um, he's done, a, you know, a good job in his career. Uh, he seems to be doing, you know, a good job at Brighton. He's their main go-to guy. Um, scoring at the Stratford end against Manchester United, you know, is, is a is a big uh, sort of sign in it that, that you're going in the right direction. Uh, but yeah, Brighton are a good team. They've got they've got some good players. They've got a good uh, club, really club management behind it, uh, producing talent. And yeah, United couldn't get a kick, could they? It wasn't it wasn't um, you know great for Ten Hag. He'll be looking at that video and thinking, you know, how can we change this? How can we start beating teams like Brighton? 
Yeah, I mean, that is that is what he's got to be thinking. There's so much pressure on him at the moment, especially amid the, all the Jaden Sancho stuff. Where's your stance on that? Well, it, the thing with, with Jaden Sancho, um, Ten Hag is the manager and he demands standards. He demands, you know, how players perform and, the, and their way they act in the club. And if he thinks that Jaden Sancho isn't pulling his weight or isn't up to the, the level he expects from his players, he has every right to say to Jaden Sancho, I don't want you in my team. And it's up to Jaden Sancho to react to that. Even though Jaden Sancho puts out a statement to say, I don't agree with what was said there. I'm trying my best. Um, he isn't the coach. Ten Hag is. And Ten Hag will live and die by the decisions that he makes. He most certainly will, Rob. Uh, do you think there's any sort of way for Jaden Sancho to claw his way back? Do you foresee him getting back into this Manchester United side? Well, it's a difficult situation, really, because James, if he does come back in, Ten Hag looks weak unless um, Jaden Sancho starts working so hard that he can't be ignored. Results will be a factor in that. If Manchester United continue to lose games, supporters will ask questions about Ten Hag and then the pressure builds. So it's a crucial moment, especially with Champions League this weekend against Bayern Munich, uh, that they continue this you know, they get a bit of form, they get a bit of, you know, cohesion within the team and start winning. Otherwise, if defeats come and, and they start losing confidence, then who knows what might happen, you might find a way back in. And the game that really could be detrimental to Manchester United's confidence is Bayern Munich mm. in the Champions League this week. That could be devastating for us. Yeah, that's... The thing is, you want to be in the Champions League, you've got to play the best in the world, best in Europe, haven't you? And, you know, Harry Kane at Bayern Munich, it's it's going to be a tough task. But, you know, it's going to be difficult. Man United away from home. Well, that's what you are. You want to be in the Champions League, you've got to play against the best. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Rob. I mean, Harry Kane, as you mentioned, will be playing that game and it'll be interesting to see he, how he performs against an English side for the first time since obviously leaving Tottenham Hotspur. Then we've got Burnley in the league. Again, a game we should win, but the way we're playing at the moment, there's every chance we won't. Yeah, another tough task. Uh, Burnley are, uh, you know, scrapping uh, for Premier League survival. Vincent Company come in, you know, he's, he's turned that club around, so it will be a big test Saturday. It most certainly will, Rob. Then looking at Manchester City, picking up a 3-1 win over West Ham. That's a big one for them. They're obviously going to be in action in the Champions League as well this week. And they've got a game upcoming against Nottingham Forest. Mm. Come from behind, win. Manchester City, Haaland on the score sheet again. Uh, two points clear at the top. Spurs and Liverpool chasing, but we know what Man City is like. When they get in front, very difficult to claw back. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. And an interesting story for you here. Uh, a piece of research conducted by British Gambler surveying 2,400 Premier League football enthusiasts. Right. They're looking at <laughs> they're looking at which manager fans would most like to go for a pint for in the Premier League. Have you got any okay. predictions, Rob, as to who's topping this list? Uh, top of the Premier League managers socialising. I would probably go Sean Dyche. Sound, he looks like the kind of guy that you'd like to go out with on a on a weekend. Um, obviously having troubles at Everton this uh, this season, uh, I'm sure you'd be you know you'd be wanting to to settle down with a with a drink and and talk about all the woes he's suffering at the moment. Well, Rob, not a bad guest at all. Sean Dyche actually comes in at second Is it? with 19.5 percent of the vote. So a good a good guess from you there, Rob. As you say, a lot of fans will probably be wanting to to 
drown the sorrows with Sean Dyke and then maybe getting a few two-for-one cocktails at Potworld. That's the sort <laughs> of scene I imagine uh, Sean Dyche operating in. But the number one is Jurgen Klopp. Really? Yeah, he's the number one. I mean, I suppose a few people might want to enjoy Oktoberfest with the German. Maybe. He's got, he's got that cheesy grin as well, and he, and he seems like he's the, the, the party man of, of, of rock and roll of, of, of managers, so I can see why people would want, like to go for a beer with him. Yeah, and rounding out the top five, we've got Pep Guardiola, Arteta, and Roy Hodgson. Roy Hodgson, it'd be it'd be interesting. Obviously, you know, vast, vastly experienced uh, head coach. He'd have a lot to say. Obviously, with a minute to go, James, you know, would you would you like to go out for a drink with a Premier League manager, somewhat wise? Uh, yeah, I'd like to go out with a few Premier League managers, Rob. I think obviously it'd be good to to go for go for a drink with Eric Ten Hag. You yeah. know, uh, sample some of Holland's finest beverages. <laughs> And then we've also got one here, uh, Rob, for the players. All right. We've got Virgil van Dijk in third, Bruno Fernandes in second, and Aston Villa's John McGinn taking the top spot. John McGinn. Wow. And what, yeah. what, what does he bring to the table, James? I don't know. He can chat about Birmingham, I suppose, playing yeah. Aston Villa. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a weird one, that, isn't it? I suppose you know talking about ex players, you know, Jimmy Bullard be one for me. I think he'd be a, a great person to go out for. Laughs Peter Crouch as well. Uh, you know, they they'd be you know certainly a laugh. I suppose these old players they have uh, they have good uh, memories, don't they? Um, big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio this week. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat on Salford City Radio.